For our scripture reading this morning, we will be reading Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 23. Colossians chapter 1. If you're using a Bible in, from the chair rack in front of you, uh, you will find that passage on page 983. So Colossians 1, starting at verse, uh, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. For you who were once Uh, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." Thank you, Andrew. Today, as we consider this text of Scripture found here in Colossians chapter 1, I want to encourage you uh, today and each day to fight hard to make much of Jesus. I want to encourage you today to not let lesser things steal away from you the best thing. Um, This is true certainly for the holiday season of Christmas where we have to contend with Santa and presents and shopping and materialism and money and decorations and family and travel and food and Christmas and cookies and family conflict and disappointment and unmet expectations and exhaustion and more. And believe me, I'm really not a pessimist, but what I'm trying to say, though, is that there is so much that presses hard against us at Christmas, so so much that does press hard against us has little to do with Jesus. And during this Christmas holiday, we have to fight hard to make much of Christmas, but it's even more true in all of life, not just Christmas. Our problem uh, in life is that we have to contend with lots of things. Education, teachers, friends, media overload, jobs, money, bills, daily chores, upkeep of your home and your cars and your yard, children, family, church, relationships, travel, vacations, again, disappointments, unmet expectations, health problems, insurance, political or international turmoil, 
and chaos, wars, injustice, tradition, change, fear, worry, sin, evil, (laughs) a plethora of temptations, and again, so much more. And I'll repeat, I'm really not a pessimist. But we really do have many, many forces that press hard against us every day of our lives. And therefore, we really have to work hard to make much of Jesus. Now, when I I say fight to make much of Jesus, I'm talking about being intentional, being diligent, depending upon Christ to help us, to to cry out to the Holy Spirit to give us strength so that we can make much of Jesus. He certainly deserves a place of preeminence in your life. But why is that? Well, the answer is found in the letter written by Paul um, to the church in Colossae. Now, remember that the letter to the Colossians is written to meet a very critical need. Uh, These young believers were being influenced by false teachers that taught the person and work of Jesus Christ is really not all that it's cracked up to be. And certainly that's a big problem because the Bible makes a bold claim that Jesus Christ is indispensable to your life and to the church. So the solution is this. God speaks through the Apostle Paul to the Colossians and in fact to you and I here this morning. And here we find the encouragement, we find the reasons why we should fight hard to make much of Jesus. Now, I hope you remember what we learned last week about Jesus. Uh, we, the kids did a great job with the Christmas program last week where Christmas is all about the celebration of the incarnation of the Son of God, the, the birth of Jesus, born of a woman. Um, but this Jesus that we celebrate, his birth of some 2,000 years ago, this Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Therefore, if you want to know God, you must know Jesus. And also, Jesus is the creator of the entire universe. You and I were created by Jesus Christ. We were created and now saved to be a people who live for the praise of his glory. And lastly, Jesus created all that is, but he also sustains all things. He's in perfect control of this universe and our lives And we can trust him each and every day. So this morning, as we come to verse 18 of chapter 1 here in Colossians, we pick up with this theme of making sure that we really believe the right thing about Jesus. And and when we do that, we'll see the reason for fighting to make much of Jesus. First of all, beginning with verse 18 here, it teaches us that as the head of the body, Jesus is the leader of the church. Uh, The text there says he is the head of the body, the church. Um, The word for head can be used in a literal sense to speak of someone's physical head. Um, But when used in a figurative way here, as here in verse 18, it speaks of one most prominent in a group uh, or one who is the chief or superior in rank. So Jesus is superior in rank. Jesus is the chief. Jesus is 
uh, the leader of the church. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, we're told that because of who Jesus is and because of what he has done, and I quote, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus is Lord over all, and that includes the church, as verse 18 teaches. He is the head. He's the chief leader in the church. Now, in one way, it is helpful to think about the universal church. That is, the church is made up of all born-again believers from every nation, tribe, and language. The church is much bigger than this local church. We experience that certainly as we fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Romania, in Brazil, and other places. But more importantly, church is always experienced first and foremost in the context of this local church. To say that we belong to the church of Jesus Christ and not belong to a local church does not fit the definition of church as it is described in the New Testament. So throughout the New Testament, believers assembled together regularly to be the church and to function as a church, which included growing up together into the head, which is Jesus the Christ. Jesus is the head. Uh, He's the leader of the church. Um, Jesus told the apostle Peter in Matthew 16, 18, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So who is truly indispensable to the church? It's Jesus the Christ. Um, Now, don't get me wrong, each and every part of the body is important, and I can support that with a lot of different passages of Scripture. You are the body of Christ. Each member of the church has a very important play, a part, a role to play in the, the function of the church. But verse 18 emphasizes that Jesus is the leader, the indispensable leader of the church. He is the one that we are to follow. He is the one that we are to obey. He is the one that we must submit our lives to. Now, Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so it is true that Christ has put human leaders in the church, but those leaders are faithful and effective only if they are following the footsteps of Jesus, following the leadership of Jesus, because the true leader of the church is Jesus Christ. Uh, He is the chief shepherd of the church. Now, this has some very practical implications. Um, Jesus is the central command post, if you would. He has the authority to direct the entire body. Uh, So the question is, do we willingly follow and obey, or do we resist and kind of strike out on our own? Um, Think about this example, if you would. Our 
our brain is the command center for our physical bodies, our, our fingers, our hands, our toes, our, our feet, legs. And our, our body responds to what the brain commands them to do. And if they don't respond, we, we recognize that there is a serious problem. So the physical body that functions best um, responds to the commands from the brain. So likewise, in the church, which is the body, we function best when we submit to the sweet authority of Jesus, where we willingly do what the head, Jesus Christ, tells us to do. And as the leader of the church, Jesus Christ is directing the church through the word of God, through the Bible. And as we submit our entire life to the word of God, we will learn to function as a body the way that we should. Um, figure skating is one of um, the most watched uh, events in the Winter Olympics. Uh, it, it amazes me, quite honestly, to watch figure skaters gracefully and skillfully jump and spin and do all of the incredible, incredible moves that they do. But you know what? The first time those skaters put on skates, um, I would imagine um, they couldn't do the things that they do once they get to the Olympics. Um, they had to be taught how to skate. They had to learn what a triple axle was. And once they understood that in their mind, um, they began to train their body to do it. And it took a lot of practice. Um, we, we probably don't want to know how many hours, grueling hours of practice it took over many years to develop the level of skating that we watch on the TV when the Olympics are on. Now, if we apply this to the church, Jesus is the head that directs the body. We learn what he wants. Um, do you want what he wants? Are you hungry to learn? Uh, does that reflect um, how much you give to listening to him, to reading, to studying, to meditating on God's word? Does that reflect how much time you're willing to spend in worship and fellowship and prayer? Or are you pretty content to kind of coast through life doing whatever you want instead of what Jesus wants? But, but more than that, how do you respond to what Jesus wants? Are, are you teachable? Uh, now, by that I mean, are you willing to change when Jesus wants you to change? Uh, do you let go of the things that Jesus wants you to let go of? Do, do you hold on to the things that Jesus wants you to hold on to? Do you resist correction or do you welcome correction? Do, do you submit your entire life and thinking to the authority of Jesus or, or do you resist that? Jesus is our, our chief leader in the church. We must follow. We must follow him. Um, for, for here, 
here, here's the beauty of it. Submitting to Jesus is not just a one-time thing. Um, we submit to Jesus and follow him every day of our life, not just for part of our life, but every aspect of our life. We're willing to let him examine. We desire for him to shed light on, on what we think and how we live and what we believe. And so we, we listen to him. So, if, you go, if we go back to the, the figure skating analogy again, um, we, we know someone who is in the Olympics has worked really, really hard. They've practiced an awful lot. Um, and certainly, as a church, there are times that, that we will, if you would, attempt a jump and will fall, but... We have to get back up and we have to skate again. Michelle Kwan, who won many world championships and several Olympic medals, said this after one of her events in the 2002 Salt Lake Winter Olympics. She said, I didn't give up. I fell, but then I heard the crowd cheering me on. Now, I've mentioned that here because that's how we should be as a church today. That's how we should be as a body of believers uh, in a sense, we have to practice. We're, we're shooting for perfection. We want to follow the leader perfectly, but when one of us falls, and we will, the rest of the body must be there to minister to them, to help them, to get back up. Jesus is the leader of the church. He is the leader that all of us should follow. We need to keep putting our trust and our hope in him. We need to depend upon his spirit to empower us. We, we need to live in light of the gospel, that we're accepted by God based upon what Jesus has accomplished for us once and for all, but now his spirit through the word of God is at work progressively sanctifying us. And we do that as a community project within the body. Together, we are following Christ. We need to keep doing that together, even when we fail, and especially when we fail. We help one another to be reminded that in Christ we are forgiven. In Christ we find the power to be made new again. Jesus is the leader of the church. And as we look at the next phrase in verse 18, we also see that as the beginning, Jesus is the life of the church. Jesus is referred to as the beginning. The, the word used there can be translated origin or first cause or ruler, authority. Uh, this word is the opposite of the ending of something. Um, it speaks rather of beginning, and more specifically, it speaks of the one responsible for the beginning. Uh, Jesus Christ is the originator of the church. Jesus Christ formed the church and gave life to the church when he poured out the Spirit at Pentecost to form many diverse people into one body. And if Jesus is the life of the church, then it's ludicrous to leave Christ or to minimize Christ. And that was the very point Paul was making to the Colossian believers. And it's a point that we must take seriously today as well. Jesus 
Christ is the one that gave birth, so to speak, to the church. Jesus is the first mover in establishing the church. We exist today because of the work that Jesus has done to form the church. Therefore, we must continue to follow Jesus and his word and all that we believe and think and say and do. Now, more, more than that, I, I don't know about you, but if something is broke, I like for the person who designed it to help me or to show me how to fix it. Um, Jesus Christ made the church, designed the church, he created the church, he has the diagnostic tools to figure out what's wrong with the church, he has the expertise to fix the church, and then it's like even fine-tuning the engine of a race car. Jesus has the ability to make us live and, and perform really at peak performance, if you would, if we follow after him. And if we're following Jesus, we will be obeying and living out things that he taught, what he commanded. And we'll do that with the very enablement of the Spirit. Jesus is the head. He is the life. And verse 18 tells us that as the firstborn from the dead, Jesus is the hope of the church. Jesus left the glories of heaven and came to the earth as God in the flesh. He lived a perfect, righteous life in complete conformity to the will of his Father. Uh, Jesus then was willing to suffer and die on a cruel Roman cross in our place. But the story doesn't end there. He was buried and he was raised again to life. In fact, as our text for today tells us, he was the firstborn from the grave. And this truth is very, very important to the church, and it gives us great hope. But why is that? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verses 1 and 2, we read this, and I quote, Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you have been saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in, in vain. So, here, here's the exhortation that Paul gave to the Corinthians. It's a similar exhortation that's given to the Colossians. I, I'm glad that you believe, but he says, keep believing, continue to believe. Uh, then moving on to verses 3 and 8, 3 through 8 of 1 Corinthians 15, I read, we read this. For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according, uh, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Zephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all of the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So here, here is the gospel. Jesus, was, Jesus died, was buried, he, he rose again. How, how do we know that he was raised from the grave? He appeared to Peter, to the 12 apostles, and to more than 500 believers, and last of all, to Paul himself. So is the resurrection of Jesus important? You bet it is. 
Um, listen to verses 12 through 19 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that he did not, if the, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So if, if the resurrection of Jesus never took place, then we, we are a people without hope. But because Jesus was in fact raised from the grave, because he is the firstborn from the dead, never to taste death again, we, we are a people who are given great hope. There, there's certainly a lot that could be said about all that the resurrection accomplished, but um, we don't have time for all of that this morning. Let me mention just two things. First, because Jesus was raised from the grave, he demolished Satan's stronghold on us. Uh, Jesus conquered sin and death. If we're born again, we have been given the victory over sin. Because Jesus is not still in the grave, we have the hope that we don't have to be what we have always been. We can change as believers. Sin, sin does not have to hold us down. We can live obedient, victorious Christian lives. You, you and I can say no to old sinful habits. Through the power of Christ, we can develop brand new patterns of living that are filled with truth and grace. Folks, because Jesus is alive and is sitting on the throne at the Father's right side, we can experience abundant life today. We, we don't have to be what we have always been. We don't have to be victims of what others have done to us. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We can change. We can grow. We, we can be a fruitful branch that produces fruit for the glory of God. T today, because Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, there is hope. I want you to know that. We don't have to have a life dominated and held captive to sin, to the sin that will destroy us and steal our joy. Because of Christ, we can have victory over sin and death. We can live joyful, fruitful lives. And there is no better life than living under the sweet authority and care of Jesus. 
If you're a Christian today, no matter what you are facing, so if you belong to Christ today, no matter what you are facing, no matter how ferocious you battle with sin, I can tell you on the authority of God's word that you have reason to have great hope. Um, let, let me read Romans 5, excuse me, Romans 6, verse 5 through 14. That describes that great hope that we have. Romans 6, begin with verse 5. For if we have been united with him, that is Christ, in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under the law, but under grace. That's good news. That's a reason for hope. Because Jesus was raised from the grave, sin does not have to be your master today. That, again, praise God for that. Now, secondly, because Jesus was the firstborn from the grave, we too... If we have been born again, can expect to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Um, when, when Jesus comes again, we will receive a glorified body. And we will spend eternity basking in his glory. What a blessed hope we really have. This life at times, as I mentioned even as we started this morning, this life at times can be very hard because we still battle the presence of sin but there is a day coming when the presence of sin will be removed far from us um, today if we are if if we're a christian if we're saved if we're alive in jesus we know that the penalty for our sin has been paid in full we know that the power of sin has been broken but we still battle the presence of sin. We long to bring glory to Christ today, and yet right there beside us is still sin trying to get us down. But we have reason to have good cheer because there is a day coming when the presence of sin will be gone from us. No longer will we fall short of God's perfect mark of righteousness. On that glorious day, we will bring glory to God in a perfect and unhindered way. 
And we, have, we, we know that to be true because Jesus is the firstborn from the dead and he is the hope of the church. Jesus is the uh, image of the invisible God. He's the creator and sustainer of the universe. He's the leader of the church. He's the life of the church. He's the hope of the church. And as we consider all of those things, let's look at the tail end of verse 18 this morning. Here, it's because of those things that Jesus deserves to have first place in everything. Uh, the text says that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, when you look at the person of Jesus Christ, it's very clear that he deserves to have the place of preeminence in our lives. The only response to Jesus is to give him first place in all that we say and do. Jesus is not just one spoke of the wheel. He is the hub that turns the whole wheel. Jesus is not just one piece of the pie. He is the entire pie. Jesus is not someone that we worship just on Sunday. He's the one that we worship and obey every day of the week. 24 hours a day. We cannot compartmentalize Jesus. We can't fit him into a nice little box that's open one day a week. Instead, Jesus must direct and determine everything that we do in life. We must give him first place in our families, in our marriages, in our professions, in our mission and ministry in our thinking in our time in our love in our conversation in our pleasures in our finances in our eating in our play in our athletics in what we watch in our music our worship in all things we must give jesus first place but what does that really mean well if you are going to give Jesus first place in everything you will want what Jesus wants for every part of your life and you will want that for his own glory and honor you won't try to keep any part of your life in the dark you won't resist the spirits sanctifying work in your life you'll hunger and thirst for righteousness you'll want to listen to God regularly and respond to him in right ways. You will with joy and spontaneity obey the will of God for your life. So as we close this morning, let me just ask a couple of questions. Um, and in light of this text, let me ask you, does Jesus have first place in your life today? Um, and, and to answer that, let me, let me ask an, a number of other questions um, to help us just kind of take inventory of our own heart and life. Um, the first question is this. When, when you hear or read or, or study the Bible, do you see the glory and the greatness of God? Uh, when... When, when you read the Bible or you, you listen to the Bible, do you see your own sin or, or do you see other people's sin? 
when you hear the Bible and you see your own sin, are you in the habit of repenting, having sorrow in your heart when the Spirit convicts you of something that you have believed wrongly or that you have done wrongly or that you have not done wrongly? Are you in the habit of turning from that and turning to and running to Jesus? Are, are you then comforted by the gospel? You know, when, when you see the ugliness of sin in your own heart and, and you run to Jesus, do you find comfort? <laughs> Is there a sense of, of joy in your heart because you know that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient to wash away the guilt of all of your sin. Do, do you know the, how sweet it really is to experience the forgiveness of God because of what Jesus has done? Are you comforted by the gospel? Does thanksgiving to God bubble out of your heart in those, those times when you've opened up the Bible and you've seen the greatness of God? You've opened up the Bible and you've You've seen in fresh ways your own sin. You've opened up the Bible and you've seen how sweet the gospel really is, where there is forgiveness and there's the hope for change. When you experience those things, does your heart just overflow with thanksgiving to God? Are, Are you then growing in your knowledge of God's will? Is there a sense in which you can see your life changing and growing? Is your love for God growing? Is your love for people growing? Is your love for people maturing? Um, And love is such a simple thing, but it's such a deep, profound thing. And the scriptures teach us an awful lot about what love really is. And when, when I say to my wife, I love you, honey, um, but I'm impatient with her. Is that love? <laughs> and when the Spirit convicts me of my impatience, do I realize I need to change love in me for my wife needs to grow in that one area in particular? But love is so many things. First Corinthians 13 is a great place to go that describes in very practical ways what the Spirit wants to produce in our life when we're growing in love. And we can never do that if we don't first experience God's love. And we won't experience God's love if we don't see his glory in ever-increasing ways, if we don't see the depths of our own sin, if we don't find comfort in the gospel, if we aren't in the habit of repenting and changing and growing. It's only then that our love for God and our love for people will really grow. And that's impossible without Jesus. Jesus deserves to be preeminent in your life. He's honored in that. It's also what's best for you, and that's what brings God glory. And so this holiday season, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but not just this holiday, every day, all year long. Let's, let's encourage one another and let's fight hard um, to make much 
of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we, we really are amazed at what you have done that we celebrate here at Christmas with you giving the gift of your son, sending him to this earth, taking on flesh of man, living a perfect, righteous life, and going to the cross as the spotless lamb of God who willingly laid down his life so that our sin could be forgiven, so the guilt of our sin before you can be washed away. Father, we praise you and we thank you for that. We're thankful, too, that your Holy Spirit has been given to us and that your Holy Spirit keeps us, your Holy Spirit transforms us, your Holy Spirit teaches us, your Holy Spirit empowers us to say no to sin and to say yes to righteousness. So, Father, I pray that we would be a people during this holiday season and throughout the year that understand in ever-increasing ways how significant, how weighty it is that you have given to us life through your son Jesus. You've given us hope through him. All that we have, all of the blessings that you have poured into our lives come through him by your spirit. And we we praise you and we thank you. I I pray for everyone that's here this morning. I pray, Lord, that, that you by your spirit would work in the heart of each one. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who has not yet repented of their sin and and run to Jesus and confessed that sin to you and sought your forgiveness, believing that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient for their sin, I, I pray that you, by your spirit, would do that work even today. But Father, I I pray for those of us who maybe have been believers for many years. Help us in fresh ways as we think about what you teach us in your word. Help us in fresh ways to see how how vital, how life-giving, how important it is to live in a right relationship with Jesus every day. Help us by your spirit to make much of Jesus and really to give him a place of preeminence in all that we do every day for our good, but ultimately for your glory. So help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.